Psalm 119, it's a big psalm, 176 verses, um, multiple stanzas. Wednesday, this Wednesday, I'll be tackling, a uh, little guy just waved at me, I'll be tackling all of Psalm 119, so if you want to be here on Wednesday for adult Bible study, come, and uh, that'll be a huge undertaking. But this morning, we're going to look at a, a small section, but it is packed, it's meaty. The title of my sermon, <clears throat> Spiritual Disciplines, The Means to Knowing and Growing. And the big idea, it's long, but bear with me, delight in the Lord, delight in in the Lord results in, if you delight in the Lord, it results in a daily commitment to reading, praying, and meditating on the Word for the purpose of knowing and growing. Now, the beginning of the new year for most is the start of resolutions. I'm sure for many, it's just a regular day. But for others, it's, it's a fresh start. And you set goals. You think, okay, this year I'm going to do things differently. And as a believer, hopefully you're, you're thinking, okay, I, I want to be in the Word more. I want to pray more. I want to share the gospel more. And, and maybe if you're like me, you start off with big goals. Like last year, I, I wanted to climb Mount Everest. I wanted to run with the bulls in Spain. Uh, I'm just kidding. I, those are not my goals. Those things did not happen. But, you know, I'd say I, I'm going to read X amount of books I want to write a book that the Lord can use to edify his people. I want to read through the Bible maybe multiple times, uh, pray more, share the gospel more. Who's ever had goals like that for the new year? Spiritual goals. Okay. Who's ever not finished them? Or, or maybe you started well, but you finished poorly. Okay. Why is that? Maybe we set goals too high. Maybe we had unrealistic goals. I don't know. Um, I think at the heart of the issue is we oftentimes lack self-discipline. It's true? Okay. So the Bible has a lot to say about self-discipline. Paul, Paul in writing to Timothy. So if you go to 1 Timothy 4, he's going to instruct Timothy. He's going to say, hey, Tim, physical training is of some value. This is verse 8, chapter 4. But godliness has value for all things, both for the present life and the life to come. So, yeah, physical training is important. Take care of your body. But spiritual training, oh, that's everything. Amen? And then later on, in verse 16, he's going to tell Timothy, Hey, Timothy, keep a close watch on your life. Okay, watch your life. Watch the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And then in 1 Corinthians 9... Paul describes, he actually compares the Christian life to a race. In a race, runners run, but before they run, they train. But they're running for a prize that's here today and gone tomorrow. You know, back then, in Corinth, you, you had these uh, games, the Isthmian games that happened every two years. And if you won, you would get this wreath made of celery, celery leaves. Is that going to last? Of course not. Paul's saying, we're running a much more important race. We're looking forward to an eternal prize. So let's train. Paul even says, I discipline my body. So is spiritual training, spiritual self-discipline important? Is it emphasized in the scriptures? Say it with me. Yes. Can we do it? What's one of the fruit of the Spirit? In fact, it's the last one, and I think that's purposeful. What's the last fruit? Self-control. Self-control. So... 
Friends, brothers, and sisters in Christ, we can be disciplined because by the Spirit we have self-control. So I want to take this morning, next week we'll be back in Exodus, but I thought, hey, New Year's Day, the Lord's Day falls on New Year's Day, let's talk about spiritual disciplines. And let's set some goals. I mean, how wonderful if this year as a church we grow together in our time in God's Word, our time in prayer, our time just meditating on God's truth. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Who's with me? Everybody. All right. Before we get into our passage, I want to answer two questions that I think are foundational for this type of sermon. Okay, this is, you could say it's topical, but we're going to look at one passage and we're going to take it apart verse by verse. So the first question is, what are the spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines, let me define it, are practices prescribed in the word that have knowing Christ and becoming like Christ as their fundamental goal. So the goal, the end goal of the spiritual disciplines is to know Christ more and to become more like him. And they include things such as, here's some spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, meditation on the scripture, worship, fasting. Now, the spiritual disciplines are both personal and interpersonal, meaning they're both private and corporate. We're called as Christians to pray privately, but we're also called to pray corporately with the body of Christ. Who did that perfectly? Whose life and ministry was marked by private prayer, but also corporate prayer? Jesus. Jesus got away and he prayed on his own, but oftentimes he would gather with the disciples to pray. Therefore, we too should practice the spiritual disciplines both privately and corporately. However, the focus this morning is going to be on the private or personal application of spiritual disciplines. Should we do these things together? Yes, we're doing that now. I think where a lot of us fail or just don't do as well as we could or should is privately or personally. I mean, come on, who, who can look back on this past year and say, you know what, I, I wish I would have read the Bible less. I wish I would have prayed less. I prayed so much. I mean, no, no, I'm sure all of us, if we're going to be honest, would say, I, I wish I would have read more. I wish I would have mined God's word for the treasure that is there. I wish I would have spent more time communing with my king. Now, thankfully, and I'm gonna, this is the next question. So the first question was, what are the spiritual disciplines? These are the things that God gives us. These are gifts that help us grow and mature in the faith. Bible reading, prayer, meditation. Now, what's their purpose? The disciplines are not the end. They are a means to the end. For example, we don't read the Bible and pray to become right with God. That was the error of the Pharisees. But rather, we read the Bible and pray. Why? Because we want to grow in our knowledge of God. We want to become more conformed to the image of Christ. So knowing and growing. Everybody say knowing. Growing. growing. Good. So knowing and growing, that is the end goal. That is the goal. The spiritual disciplines are the means. What's the goal? Knowing and growing. Furthermore, and this is good, it's important to remember that the spiritual disciplines are fulfilled in and by Christ. And they have Christ as their goal. Namely, knowing Him more and becoming more like Him. Now, who's read Psalm 119? It can be daunting. Not just the amount of time, but when you look at how the psalmist 
feels about the Word. You're like, I don't, I don't feel that way about God's Word. As Aaron prayed, I, you know, maybe you could say, I, it's, it's not what I treasure most. I don't, I don't see it as more valuable than what the world has to offer. But I want to be there. I hope all of us can say, yes, we long for the beautiful picture painted in this psalm. And in Christ, it's ours. Amen? It's ours. Namely, a new heart that longs for and desires to know God in his word in a way that is pleasing to him. But again, are we saved by doing these things? No, we're saved to do these things. Are we saved by the amount of time we read and study, pray, Meditate. No, we're, we're saved to do these things. We are saved and transformed to live this way. And living this way aids in our ongoing transformation. Paul says it well in 1 Timothy 4.7. Train yourselves for godliness. We train ourselves for godliness by means of the, what are they called? The spiritual disciplines. We read, we pray, and we meditate to know God more, and to become more like him, knowing and growing. All right, let me review my points. So I really just have four points this morning, and we're going to move quickly, okay? So number one, reading. Reading. Reading what? What's the object of our reading? I'm not going to say good books, even though I love to read good books, but the book, the Bible. So reading the Bible, praying, and as Christians, what do we pray? What must inform our prayers? The the Bible, the Word, and then meditating is the third thing. So we'll look at reading, praying, meditating, and then the fourth point is everything, and it's delighting. And I would argue that the Word, the Bible, is at the center of these disciplines. We read and study the, the Bible. We pray the Word, meaning the Word must inform how we pray and what we pray. And we prayerfully meditate on the Word, all with the goal of knowing and growing. So number one, read the Word. Who's committed to reading the Word more this year? Who would like to read the Word more this year? Read the Word. Now, Psalm 119, taken as a whole, is an anthem of praise and prayer to God for his wife. The psalmist is thanking God, he's praising God for the gift of his, of his Word. God's word is at the center of this psalm. Listen to how the word is emphasized in our small section. We're looking at just a few verses, 9 to 16, but listen to how the word is described. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 10, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Verse 12, Teach me your statutes. Verse 13, with my lips I declare the rules of your mouth. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, again, that's a synonym for the Bible, in the way of your testimonies I delight, I find joy. Verse 15, I will meditate on your, on your precepts. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, the psalmist uses numerous synonyms for Scripture. The Bible, word, commandments, statutes, testimonies, precepts, to demonstrate its unmatched authority and its rich myriad of uses. Let's make a few observations here. Verse 9. 
Verse 9 in the NIV reads, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? It's a great question. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? It's one of the first verses I memorized as a new believer back in 1995. How can a young man stay on the path of purity? The answer, by living according to your, your word. The Hebrew there, shamar, it means to keep, to observe, even to guard. The psalmist points to the word as the means for holy living. So the key to keeping one's way holy or pure is God's what? It's his word. How do we stay on guard against sin? By the the word. What hope do you have in fighting sin if you neglect this? None. Because basically you're saying, I can do it on my own. I'm going to ignore and even reject the gracious and glorious resource God has given me for fighting sin, and I'm going to do it on my own. How's that going to work out? Not very well. Not only that, but in verse 11, this was probably the second verse I memorized as a believer, we see that the psalmist has stored up God's word in his heart. Why? So that he might not sin against the Lord. Now, what does that amount to? Hiding God's word in one's heart. It's the Hebrew verb, tzfan. That's a tough one, tzfan. And it means to hide, to store up, or even to treasure up something. Basically to memorize. We need to memorize the word. We must store it where? In our hearts. This is the key to fighting against sin. When I meet with men, oftentimes men struggle with pride, lust, even pornography, Where do you think I point them? I point them to the scriptures. Uh, Let's look at these passages. God shows us in his word how to fight sin. Memorize his truth. Store it in your heart so that you will not sin against him. I love Donald Whitney. He's a great writer. He's written a lot on this topic, spiritual disciplines. He writes, when scripture is stored in your mind, listen, this is really good. When Scripture is stored in your mind, it is available for the Holy Spirit to bring to your attention when you need it most. Now, if it's not stored in your mind, it's not going to be available for the Holy Spirit to bring it to your attention because you haven't stored it up. When we store it up, it's available for the Holy Spirit to bring to our attention when we need it most. Again, it's like going into battle without a sword, or nowadays without a weapon, without a gun. What's going to happen? Bad things, man. Bad things. In verse 13, the psalmist writes, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. This is comparable to teaching the word to others. That which we have read and studied and has therefore done its work in us, we must then declare to others. That which we treasure, we tell. Amen? That which we treasure, we tell. That which has edified and built us up, we share with others so that they can be edified and built up as well. How are you right now currently telling the word to others? Now, this isn't necessarily referring to evangelism. The Bible has a lot to say about that. But here, I believe the emphasis is on sharing God's word with other believers. But how can you give other believers what you don't know? 
The answer, you can't. I mean, I love talking to dads with young kids. Again, if you're a dad, young or old kids, you have a responsibility. It's a privilege, but it's a responsibility to give them the word. Amen? To teach them God's truth, to train them up in the scriptures. But if you don't know the word, what are you going to have to give? Say it with me. Nothing. You can't share what you don't know. You can't give the word to others if you don't know it. And some here, we're called to keep the word, to memorize it, and to declare it to others for the purpose of knowing and knowing and growing. If we wish to know God more and be conformed more and more to the image of Christ, then what? The word of God must be at the center of our lives. Why make it a daily habit to read and study the Bible? Why do that? It's good, right? As we see in verses 9 and 11, keeping the word and storing it up in our hearts, memorization is key to our sanctification, our growth in holiness, and our ongoing battle against sin. Simply put, if you wish to grow in godliness and declare all-out war against sin, then you must daily be in the, in the Word. Now, if you could care less, <laughs> then neglect the Word. But if you want to grow, we sing about it, all glory be to Christ. That is our goal as believers. And if you want to glorify Christ, you must become more like Him. And if you want to become more like Him, you have to be here. Amen? This is so important, friends. This is everything. Don't neglect this book. I pray that as a church, we be people of the book, the Bible. Again, remember Paul's words to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.7. Train yourselves for godliness. What is our training manual? What is our, where's our training regiment found? Where do we go? The Word. If you've ever trained for a sport or a long race, which I've done, I know I've, I feel like I'm getting a little more rotund right now. So one of my physical New Year's resolutions is to lose some weight, right? So this is good for me to hear. Again, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. If you've ever trained for a sport or a long race, you know that it requires a great investment of time, a great investment of effort. It can be grueling. It can be tiresome. It can be difficult, but it's what? It's worth it. So keep this goal ever before you. Again, the glory of King Jesus. And how do we glorify our King? By becoming more like Him, by knowing Him more. I've often said, when I got saved... All I knew basically was that I was a sinner and Christ was the Savior. And I was in awe of God's goodness, His mercy and His love. When I heard the gospel the first time, that's really all I knew. And that was enough. But as I grew as a Christian, as I began to have that curtain pulled back, as I studied Scripture and learned Christian doctrine found in the Word, and that curtain was widened, and I saw more of who God is, and I grew in my knowledge of Him, I was like, whoa! More awe, more wonder, more glory to the king. Amen? So knowing and growing is for the glory of King Jesus. And if you want to know and grow, you got to be people. we got to be people of the book. So get in the word. Paul's words in Philippians 3 are helpful here. 
Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this. He's talking about resurrection life, glorification, perfection. That's what he, I mean, that's what we long for, amen? We're not going to have it this side of glory, but we long for it. We long to become more like Jesus. It's true? So, but Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He goes on to say, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we wish to press on well, we must be people of the the book, the Bible. Let me give you some practice steps here. Again, the first point is read the Bible. My biggest point, read the Bible, be people of the book. If you want to know and grow and thus bring glory to Christ, be people of the book. Get in the Word. But, that, I mean, that's hard. I mean, for, for many of us, we're busy. You got kids, young kids. Maybe you start a new job. But we prioritize what's important, don't we? Is there anything more important than this? No. Read, memorize, and declare the Word to others. Here's the practice step. It's the one, one, one challenge. The one, one, one challenge. Okay, I want to emphasize three things here. One, read one chapter a day of God's word. Because maybe right now you say, I'm not reading anything. Now, I'm going I'm to mention some reading plans. I think it's great to read the Bible through in one year. And if you want to do that with me, let's go. That's my goal this year. Last year, it was to read it multiple times. <laughs> Is busy, but this year I'm going to do. And there's also there's a great plan. It's the Bible through in two years, and that might be better for you. But hey, here's here's a starting place. Read one chapter a day of God's Word. One chapter a day. Start maybe in Matthew or go back to Genesis and just do a chapter a day. Memorize one verse a week, which we're doing as a church, hiding God's Word in your heart so that you won't sin against Him. So read a chapter a day. That's the first one. The second one, memorize one verse a week. Do the verse we're doing right now in Psalm 16. And number three, and this is going to require more time, but hugely important, meet with one other believer once a week for Bible study. One chapter a day, one verse a week memorized, one believer a week for one-on-one Bible study. Who's in? Will you at least prayerfully consider that? It's a good resolution. Again, the purpose of doing these things is to put more Bible in you so that you'll know Jesus more and be conformed more and more to his image, all for his glory and for our good. Amen? For our good. All right, what's another spiritual discipline seen in our passage? Because maybe you would say, Chris, by God's grace, I've done really well this year being in the Word. I love being in the Word. Maybe where you struggle more is being on your knees, praying. So number two, number one, read the Word. Number two, pray the Word. Prayer is personally communicating or communing with our personal God. Wouldn't we agree that communication is key for any relationship to work? Yes? For any relationship to be effective, communication has to be there. How much more our relationship with God? Again, we aren't saved by the amount of time we spend reading the Bible and praying. If that were the case, we'd be in trouble. I'm sure all of us would say, yes, I'd be in trouble. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. 
However, faith is made visible by our consistent communication with the King. Prayer and Bible reading convey our deep dependency on God, our trust in Him. Amen? I mean, how dare we say, I trust the Lord, but I never pray? It doesn't work. When you don't pray, what are you saying? I got this. When you pray, you're saying, God, you have this because I can't do anything. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. Understand it this way. This is really helpful. God communicates to us by his word, and we communicate back by prayer. And who speaks first? Who initiates the relationship? God does. So God speaks to us by his word, and we speak back in prayer. Again, a marriage. Think about your marriage. Who's married? A lot of us are married. Marriage, a marriage without communication is going to be frustrating and disappointing. Agreed? When encouraging men, when I meet with guys, to regularly get into the Word and pray, I often pose this question to married guys. What would happen if you took a two-month hiatus from your relationship with your wife? Stop talking to her. She stops talking to you. What's going to happen? Is it going to be good for your marriage or bad for your marriage? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. Frustrating. Angering. Right? Devastating. And yet, that is what we so often do with God, is it not? For some reason, I'm not saying all of us, but many Christians don't spend regular, consistent time hearing God's voice in his word and speaking back through prayer. No more. Amen? No more. Back to our passage. Psalm 119 is a prayer of praise. That's what it is. Psalm 119, the whole psalm, is a prayer of praise to God for his what? For his word. In our passage, we have recorded the psalmist's words directed to God. He's praying. And what does he pray? The Psalms, let me say this, the Psalms functioned as a prayer manual for the early church. When I meet today, when I meet with a new believer or a young believer and they're struggling, how do I pray? What do I pray? Where do you think I take them? I take them to the Psalms because there we're taught by example, by instruction, how to pray, how to commune with our Lord. Again, what does the psalmist pray in our passage? It's Psalm 119, 9 to 16. What does this passage teach us about prayer? To begin, we have different kinds of prayers recorded in Psalm 119, 9 to 16. We have adoration or praise and supplication, which is making requests humbly of God. So I want to highlight a few here. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. In verse 10, the psalmist voices his wholehearted commitment to God. What does God want from us? Our what? What does he deserve? Our heart. Here the psalmist is sincere. He tells God, with my whole heart, I, the Hebrew, derash. I seek you. I worship you. And then he prays the prayer of supplication. Let me not wander from your commandments. The verb to wander means to stray, 
to stray. He's praying, Lord, let me not stray from your commandments. And pray this verse to God. Make it your own. It might sound like this. God, I am fully committed to you. You're my king. Help me to follow you. May I not be led astray by the things of this world. Help me to live according to your word. Let's turn next to verse 12. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. How does he begin that prayer? Blessed are you, O Lord. I bless your name, Lord. That's a prayer of praise. Followed by, teach me your statutes. Supplication. Praise followed by request. Before we ask, we must be in awe. Amen? Before we ask, we must be in awe. We must adore. Prayer must flow from a posture of praise. He says, blessed are you, O Lord. That was God's personal covenant name. It brought to mind the image of the Exodus, God's gracious rescue of his people, God's covenant faithfulness. I bless you, O Lord. And then he says, teach me. Teach me. Such a prayer demonstrates a teachable and transformed heart. Such a prayer conveys humility and a proper view, a proper understanding of God in our relationship with him. Right? He's the teacher and we are the what? We're the student. <laughs> now, what's the object or content of this teaching? What is it? Teach me your what? Your statutes. It's the word. The psalmist says, oh, Lord, teach me your word. This prayer assumes a regular commitment to being in the, in the word. When I pray, I start with praise, adoration. Praise God for his wonderful character, for his wonderful works. And then I move on to supplication. What we see in our passage is that the psalmist prays and that the word is at the center of what he prays. The word must inform and shape our prayers. May the word inform and shape our prayers. There's a great book by Donald Whitney. I'd write this down. If you're going to make a commitment to read some good books this year, his simple small book, and we all love small books, Praying the Bible. If you want to learn how to pray the Bible, again, the Word should inform how we pray and what we pray. Donald Whitney's little book, Praying the Bible, is immensely helpful. Praying the Bible by D-Dub or Donald Whitney. Um, I've mentioned this before. This was probably back in 2013. I was teaching youth group, and I was teaching through the Psalms. And I spent about maybe six months teaching 120 high school students how to pray by walking them through the Psalms. Start doing that today. Who wants to pray more? Who desires to have their prayers informed by Scripture? Man, spend time in the Psalms. It's a great place to be. In sum, we must regularly communicate to God. And our prayers should be informed and shaped by the, by the Word. Our prayers should consist of praise and supplication and should flow out of a heart that is wholly committed to God. So here's some practice steps here. Number one, pray acts. I'm not saying the book of the Bible, that's a great place to read and pray, but A-C-T-S. I have a pastor friend who's probably 68 now, almost 70. He's been praying this way for 50 years. Acts if you want to write this down, 
The A stands for adoration. So when you begin your time of prayer, start with praise or adoration. Just praising God for who he is. C is confession. After you've spent some time praising God for his wonderful grace and mercy, his goodness, confess your sin. Confess your shortcomings. Get humble before God. The T is thanksgiving. So after you've adored him or praised him, and then after you've confessed your sin to him, spend some time thanking him for who he is and what he's done. And then lastly, and this is where we tend to begin, (laughs) I'm saying end here, supplication. And those are our requests. God, give me strength today. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better wife. Help me to be a better dad. Help me to share the gospel with my coworker or my lost family friend or member, whatever that. But end with supplication. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Again, supplication, you could just write in parentheses, requests, requests. Number two, read a psalm a day and practice praying God's word. If you've been a part of our Wednesday night Bible study, I've been going through the psalms, and then what do I do at the end? I teach us how to pray through that psalm, and I hope that's been helpful. So the second practice step, read a psalm a day, and that could be, again, if you read a, a chapter a day, start in the psalms. Read a psalm a day and practice praying God's word. And number three, pick a time and stick to it. Pick a time when you're going to pray. How does Paul instruct us to pray? We should pray without ceasing. We should pray continuously. But I think we also see, if we look at Jesus, there were times where he just got away to be with the Father and commune and pray. And I mean, I love what Martin Luther said. What a busy man, Martin Luther, the great reformer. He said, I'm so busy that I must spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. I think Aaron spends four, day, or four hours a day in prayer. So bless you, brother. But there were, the point is, there was time set aside for prayer. So pick a time and stick to it and guard that time. Guard that time. All right, let's look at one final spiritual discipline that really functions to bring the first two together. So the first was read the Bible, pray the Bible. Number three, meditate on the Bible. Meditate on the Word. Now, meditation may sound strange and even unbiblical. It may conjure up images of strange poses and incense, but it's actually a biblical practice minus the incense and strange poses. That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about meditation, I'm talking about what the Bible talks about. Psalm 1-2, which Aaron, you, you, uh, you mentioned in your prayer for us this morning. In describing the righteous or blessed man, the psalmist says what? What describes the righteous or blessed man? He meditates on God's word day and night. Hmm. Verse 15 of our passage. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. The object of our meditation is what? It's the word of God. But what does the act of meditation actually refer to? What does it mean to meditate on God's word? All right, it's a tough Hebrew verb. Sehach. Sehach. Good, wow. Was that a child or a parent? I don't care. It means to occupy one's attention with something. One scholar writes, it has the sense of a wise, pensive concentration. That's meditation. You're really focusing your attention on something. On what? 
on the scriptures. David Mathis, what's the name of his book on spiritual disciplines? Um, Habits of Grace, yes. Great book, Habits of Grace. He writes, this is a great quote, meditation bridges the gap between hearing from God and speaking to him. In meditation, and I'm going to break this down. He says, in meditation, we pause and reflect over his words, which we've heard, read, or studied. We roll them over in our minds and let them ignite our hearts. We warm, this is good, we warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Oh. So we read, we pause, and we pray. Think about, so meditation is, think about what you're reading. Think about what you're reading. Allow God to work on your heart through his word by the Spirit, and then pray to God about the verse or passage that you're thinking about. I, I got one more quote because it's so good. The, the imagery here is amazing. I love tea. Now, I drink 10 cups of coffee a day. So, you know, my kids know that my favorite drink is coffee. Folgers or the good stuff. And honestly, sometimes Folgers is the good stuff. Anyways, I digress. At night, though, I drink tea. I love tea with honey in it and a little milk. Anybody? Okay, so keep that in mind. It's a, it's a cold evening. You've got a warm glass of tea. Now listen to this. This is from Donald Whitney. He says, reading, studying, and memorizing God's word are like additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters the water, the more permeating the effect. Meditation, this is it. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly colored reddish brown. Meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. Oh, isn't that good? Meditation, one more time, maybe I should just read that, but I thought the tea imagery was just so good. Um, meditation, different illustrations get people differently. You're like, I hate tea, I'm sorry. Um, but you get it, right? Meditation on Scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. So to meditate is to think deeply about the truths of God and then to proclaim to him your gratitude for what he's revealed to you in his word. Amen? This deep thinking, this deep meditation prepares us to come before God in prayerful praise for the beautiful revelation God has revealed to us in his word. Amen? Matthew Henry said it really well. Meditation is the best preparation for praise. You want to praise well? Meditate well. On what? On scripture. So here's the practice steps. And then we have one more point. Take time. Practice steps. What was the third point? Meditate on the word. So read the word, pray the word, and meditate. And maybe that's where you're not spending time. Maybe as Aaron, you prayed, you know, we're just checking the box. But pause. Think about what God is saying to us in his word. Pause. Mull it over in your brain. Let it seep. Think about it. And then praise him for what he's shown you in his word. So take time to prayerfully consider God's word.
Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Think deeply upon the truths of God and thank Him in prayer for His revelation. Pray for the Lord to apply His truths to your life. Now, this last step, this last point is the most important. You'll see why. One thing must be present in order for the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, prayer, and meditation to be effective. Number four, fourth point, read the Word, pray the Word, meditate on the Word. Number four, the spiritual disciplines must flow from a heart that delights in God. And if you want a more abbreviated point, delight in God. Delight in Him. Without delight, verse 14 In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Whoa! I mean, do you you desire to feel that way about God's word, his truth, his revelation? Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The most important point, delight in God, concerns the underlying motivation for pursuing these spiritual disciplines. If this one thing is not present, then you'll found to be a hypocrite. And the word hypocrite in Greek means pretender. So if delight is not present, then you'll be found to be a pretender and will easily slide into the camp of legalism. Here we see the true source of the psalmist's joy, the grounds for reading, praying, and meditating on God's word. It's his delight in God. It's the joy that comes from knowing God. Amen? What motivates you to read, pray, and meditate? And if you would say, well, Chris, because the Bible tells me to, I'd say, amen! Yes! That's huge! When the king says do something, you do it. But hopefully paired with that is, I love the king. And I long to know him more. And I long to be more like him out of gratitude. Right? I mean, That's how we show our gratitude. We spend time with God in his word, talking to him in prayer, slowing down and thinking about the deep truths revealed in scripture because we're thankful we love him. Again, what motivates you to read, pray, and meditate on God's word? If it's solely checking a box, repent. If it's spiritual pride, repent. May it only and always be delight in God, a joy that knowing God brings. When you delight in God, when He is your greatest treasure, then you will long to be with Him and to spend time with Him. Is true? When He's your greatest treasure, when you delight in Him, then you will long to spend time with Him. You will long, my little girl. <laughs> You will long to hear his voice in his word. Pray that way. Pray, Father, help me to delight more in your word. To come with great expectation that I don't have to, but I get to open up the scripture. I get to hear from you, from your living word. What a joy. And then, not only that, but if we have the son, we have the father's ear, we can talk back to this God. Isn't that incredible? And if we have the Holy Spirit, which if you're a believer, you do, then the Spirit helps you to understand the deep truths revealed here so that you can say, wow, God, you're more amazing than I realized. 
more praise, more glory to the king. The logic goes hand in hand with the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. When you treasure the king supremely, you will inevitably keep the goal of the spiritual disciplines ever before you, which is knowing and growing. Let me say this. Delight, delight in the Lord comes from seeing the beauty of Christ revealed in the word of God. Amen? So first, trust in Jesus. I promise you, none of this will make sense unless you know the Lord. Okay? The the spiritual disciplines, (laughs) before you can engage in them, you have to have a relationship with God by trusting in Jesus Christ. It's true? So start there. Acknowledge you're a sinner. We all are. That, that is the great common denominator in this room. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in a position of desperation and hopelessness that we cannot remedy in and of ourselves. All of us need a Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So acknowledge that today. Acknowledge, yes, I'm a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. And trust in Him. Trust that what He did through His perfect life lived his death on the cross in your place, in my place, and his resurrection from the dead, that through that, you and I can be saved, forgiven, and brought into God's family. And then, take off. Get into the Word. Read it. Study it. Hide it in your heart. Pray it so that you can know him more and become more like him for his glory and your good. Amen? All right, so this year, let's commit as a church body to reading the Bible, praying the Bible, meditating on the Bible with that underlying motivation because we delight in the Lord of the Bible. I'll have my brother post some plans on Facebook this week. If you have the Bible app, at the bottom it says plans. Click on that. There's all types of plans. Different, I know, different strokes for different folks. Different plans for different, I don't know. Gene, I don't have anything. Um, but a lot of good plans. I'll put maybe three or four on Facebook. If you're like, I need help, um, reach out to me, and I'll, I have several that I could recommend. Sound good? But be in the Word, be on your knees, and be with God's people. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that in your grace and in your goodness and through your Son, you save sinners like us, undeserving sinners. And by your grace... And by the work of your spirit, you call us out of darkness into light. You bring us into your family, and you don't leave us to ourselves. You give us a church family. You give us your spirit. You give us your word. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, your living word. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. I pray that we would love your word, that we'd read it as a church body corporately and personally, that we pray it as a church body, corporately and personally, and that we would meditate it on it as a church body, both corporately and personally, and that as a church body, Father, may we delight in you. May our joy be found in you. Help us to grow this year. Help us to grow in our knowledge of King Jesus and, Father, in our conformity to King Jesus through your word, for your glory, and for our good. And all God's people said, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.